When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. It's December, and you know what that means? Many of us are doing holiday shopping, and we're doing some of it online. I got special warnings for you about shopping online. And also, I can't even tell you how many people I've heard from since March of last year who've been through complete nightmares with event tickets, concerts, that kind of thing, events that um, have been continually rescheduled, didn't happen, whatever. I want to tell you that one company is offering a different way of handling those tickets, and I sure hope that others, like you, Ticketmaster, will follow suit. So, no editorials about Ticketmaster. So I want to talk about shopping online, either for uh, Christmas, just in general. So new survey data says the number one type of identity theft out there is credit card fraud. Somebody gets a hold of your number. They buy things as if they're you. You have to deal with it. It's why I say never use a debit card for online shopping because it's not just a charge that posts to your account. It is the money that comes out of your checking account that you then have to fight to get back into your checking account. And in between, you don't have the money to pay your bills, right? Well, with the credit cards, there are a couple of strategies that I advise. One is that when you shop online, you have one card that you use for online shopping so that if it's compromised, it doesn't affect any automatic payments you have, any other uses It's only the online shopping card that has to have a new number and you're not having to worry about, oh, well, this is an automatic payment to these people. It's now the wrong number, blah, blah, blah. And that's one strategy you can use that is a partial wall of defense that you protect all the other things you're doing in your life with how you buy and pay for things by segregating out just what you shop for online. But there's a better way to do this too. And it's to use virtual credit cards. Many card issuers now give you the ability to either with their app or with an extension on your browser, on your computer, or various strategies they have where when you buy something online, it will issue you a one-time use disposable credit card number. And this is fantastic because if a criminal intercepts your number due to a weakness in the payment processing system at an online seller or through their payment processor or whatever along the way, or even someone who intercepts information from you on the way to buy something, All they've got is that one-time use number 
that does nothing for them, even if they've intercepted it. So this is really, really great to do. And as far as who does this routinely, giving virtual credit card numbers, Capital One has had a procedure for doing so for a good while. Citibank has virtual numbers. If you use PayPal, they have that. But here's the alternative that so many people use that provides additional protection. Apple Pay and Google Pay. They both have very well thought out systems that protect you when you're shopping out and about and when you're shopping online that make your transactions much more secure than the big bad banks. So they take the information of how you're paying and Apple and Google send it through in a way that is, uh, I think it's called a tokenization, maybe how they call it in banking security, that does not give the criminal the access to your actual card number. And I know a lot of people find Apple Pay and Google Pay difficult to use. Um, I don't. I use, well, I don't have an iPhone. I use an Android. But I use the Google Pay routinely, and I find it, once I adapted to it, very easy to use. So I encourage you to think about things like that. The other thing you can do is, I've talked about privacy.com that gives you the ability to generate virtual card numbers. We explained that on our briefing on Clark.com about virtual numbers. Please hear me on this one. You want to protect yourself from the fraudsters that want to do quick scores and inconvenience you. Get to some questions. This one's from Don in California. What is the best company to consolidate your credit cards? So, Don, I don't know where your head's at in terms of what you mean about consolidation. If you mean um, getting to a lower interest rate, there are certain cards that from time to time are aggressive with balance transfer offers that allow you for either the life of the balance transferred or for a set period of time that's usually 12 or 18 months to pay that off at 0%, 5.9%, whatever. And so there is no one best. It really is based on what the best ones are at the moment on balance transfer offers. And I'm guessing that's what you mean about consolidate, um, is moving debt from higher interest rate cards to lower. You also may find that one of the lending platforms will offer you a better deal than you have right now on your credit cards. People like uh, the fintechs like SoFi, you might find with um, uh, some of the others like Lending Club, or prosper, you may have the ability to move money on to lower interest rate debt that you pay over a set period of months versus doing it with a credit card company anyway. Got a marital dispute one. Uh-oh. Jody in Utah. What did Lane say about <laughs> that she wants you to resolve? This is from Jody in Utah. Uh, we are contemplating selling our home. I'm having a disagreement with my wife. 
I want to sell, sell it for sale by owner or with Zillow to save high commission costs. Which do you think is better? Well, Zillow offers is shut down. So, uh, by the way, if you use uh, the former Zillow, well, you can't use Zillow offers anymore, or you use OfferPad, Opendoor, or any of their competitors, you are paying the equivalent of a commission, maybe even higher than you would normally pay for them as an iBuyer to come in and buy your home. Um, it's, that's all about simplicity and ease. In the case of a FISBO or for sale by owner, it's the opposite of that. You are taking on all the responsibility to market your home, negotiate the selling price with people who make offers, and handle the whole thing. I like if you do a FISBO, though, houses are the most expensive asset we have. I like for you to hire a real estate lawyer to handle the contract so the deal doesn't blow up with unintended consequences. But you will save potentially a huge amount of money by selling a home yourself with the hassle of doing showings, uh, doing open houses, all those things. And so if you are willing to take on the work, Jody, then I think that's fine. But if your wife is not on board, doesn't want to handle list showings, doesn't want to handle open houses and all that, you really need to think about the happy wife, happy life kind of thing uh, in making a decision. And a lot of buyers want to use their own agent too. So oh, you so you decide. have to, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned you need to agent protect. Even if you do a for sale by owner, you should offer 2 or 3% to an agent who brings you a qualified buyer. So you're paying uh, half or less of the normal commission, but most people are using an agent when they're a buyer, and you're going to miss most of the market if you don't agent protect on commissions or a buyer's agent who brings you someone. But I'll tell you, there's work involved when you do a FISBO. you got to be willing to do that work. Okay, math question for you from Katie in New York. If you have a child who is 25 years old and you give them $500 for Christmas every year for 20 years and ask them to put it into their Roth IRA, how much will it be worth when they retire at 65 years old given an average rate of return? All right. Now, Krista, you got you to gotta spill the beans. You've run the calculation, we had to haven't run you? Yeah, we had to we run We had to it. run the calculation because there's no way I could answer <laughs> that. So you put in the $500 a year for 20 years. You get a typical rate of return, which today over a multi-decade period would be considered about 7%, go into low-cost funds, put in a Roth IRA over what would be 40 years, because 20 years of putting in the money Right, you put in $10,000 over the 20 years. And then you got 20 more years beyond that for it to grow. And if you put nothing, she puts nothing in for the next 20. But you've got the money already in that grows. What is the answer? What does that 10,000 become over a 40-year period? At 65, she would have about $84,874. Okay, so the 10,000 becomes... 80 plus thousand. And by the way, if your child continues to make those contributions based on being inspired by you for years moving forward, then we're talking about quite a bit more money. So if you go back and you put in 
putting the money in for, let's see what it would be if you do it, all 40 years, put that money in. Now we're talking about 106000 So you know what's interesting about that? Time in the market matters the most. Mm-hmm. So the money put in earlier has a bigger impact than money put in later, even though it's worth more later continuing to contribute. The big benefit was putting money in over um, an average, that would be an average of 30 years, letting money grow. And time is your ally with investing and creating financial security. So, Katie, that's really generous of you. I hope that your child will match that money every year. Then we're talking about a lot more money they'll have down the road. And coming up next, more and more concerts and events are starting to happen now as COVID numbers have been dropping in much of the country. But how do you protect yourself when you're trying to buy tickets to a concert or event? The concert and event business has been in turmoil ever since March of last year when COVID disrupted the plans of most Americans. Events were canceled in huge numbers, but they played a game of words. And events were called postponed overwhelmingly so that nobody had to give back their money. Ticketmaster, to me, was a giant embarrassment and how it handled things through the entire period of COVID. Ticketmaster has been a thorn in American sides forever, and the surcharges charged on tickets are obscene. Well, they have a little competitor called SeatGeek, and SeatGeek has decided that COVID or not, just moving forward just because of life, that when you buy tickets from them, you can decide for any reason three days or more before an event you purchase from them that you're not going to go and they will give you the equivalent of a voucher for that amount of money that you paid for the original event, including all the junk fees added on. And you can take that money and use it towards a future event at some point, basically following what the airlines have done in the COVID era and moving forward, where no longer are tickets non-refundable, non-changeable, that tickets now can be, if you can't take a trip, you can cancel the trip, hold the value for future travel up to a certain point. And this is treating people the way they should be treated. This is the right thing to do. In the airline industry, Southwest always did this. Other airlines would always crow to Wall Street analysts how much money they were making on these ripoff cancellation fees. And now they sing a different tune. Although you should be aware, some airlines now with their basic economy tickets the cheapest coach tickets no longer give you the ability to roll that money forward. But in the concert and event business, it's really hard when there's somebody you really want to see. Sports events 
for the most part, not nearly as hard as they used to be. A lot of sports events now, tickets are selling resale for less than the original face amount. And the whole reason for that are these magnificent TVs we have in our homes. That the TVs are so good and you can just sit in the comfort of your own home and watch a sports event. And that has become the biggest competitor for the sellers of tickets for stadium live in-person events, arena in-person sports events. There is no equivalent for concerts. And so most of where the price gouging has been and the problems people have had have involved concerts and other live events, comedians, things like that, where things have been so disrupted during COVID. And you have a story to share about a (laughs) concert. This is funny. I just looked so – I love the comedian Brian Regan. He's awesome. Um, And we had tickets to see him on May 7th of 2020. How'd that go? (laughs) Was it really funny? He was just the best you'd ever heard. He's so funny. So um, it's been re- it's been rescheduled and rescheduled, and now it's rescheduled for March of 2022. But the funniest thing I just realized is that if I look at the picture of him on the original tickets, he has brown hair, and now his hair is totally white, like gray. <laughs> so <laughs> that COVID did that to guy. him that he went from having it's been this that long head, that he's gone gray, full head of brown hair. And now he's got less hair, yeah. and it's all gray. Well, I hope, I I hope mean, COVID's <laughs> done a lot of stuff for Brian. So, are you ever getting to go? I hope so. I hope we're going in March of twenty-two. But it's funny we had tickets for two kids that were in high school at the time to come with us, and they're in college now, so they probably can't come. Well, it, it, there's no excuse for the way Ticketmaster has handled COVID, the way they treat people with tickets and events, and they have been a problem going back, I mean, I don't know how many decades, and it's a shame. And this was a situation with COVID. I mean, think about, we've lost, what have we lost? 800,000 Americans we know of to COVID. Um, It's probably well over a million. We've had this big decline in lifespans. And that it was more about money to them then what was right to do is just something that bugs me a lot. And so that's why I want you to know somebody, at least, SeatGeek is doing something that is along the lines of what makes sense to me. And Ticketmaster needs to show more humanity. And it's, it's not like you can go to this other ticket seller, this other one or this other one because of this unholy alliance between promoters or facilities where they enter into these monopoly contracts for the sale of tickets has been to the public's detriment, to consumers' detriment for so long. And that's not the only problem with ticket buying, is it? You got a question about that? I do. From Mike in California, what is the best way to buy concert tickets? When I go onto a venue site on the very first day the tickets are for sale, I usually see no original tickets. They've been bought up by resellers and are now for sale at a premium price. Mike, this is something the industry has not been able to get its arms around. Are the brokers using bots that they use AI technology 
to get in there and buy up all the inventory and normal earthlings that are trying to buy can't get the tickets and then the brokers, you're at their mercy with the very, very high prices. And that's a problem that I suspect industry could fix that the, uh, again, the prior mentioned Ticketmaster and the concert industry could fix if it really put its mind to it. And my thing all along has been the system we have now is not working, so it would be better is to have true dynamic demand pricing for concerts. That's how you get rid of the brokers in the mix, is that if the marketplace automatically set the price based on demand for the section, the day, and um, you know whoever it is, and when you're buying, that then you'd have the same thing you have on airplanes, where Krista, who's just got to, got to, got to see Brian Regan or whoever Brian Regan. will pay whatever the dynamic demand pricing requires, where <laughs> someone like me would wait till there was a deal, and then I would buy it. And if there's not a deal, I wouldn't go. That's what dynamic demand pricing would do, where you let the algorithms, instead of trying to get the tickets before you could get them, sets the price where the market will bear from the get-go, more money would go to the performers if it worked that way instead of the money going to these brokers that can range from uh, very reliable to very shady. And if you have an Amex, I don't know if other cards do this, but Amex, if you have one, you can buy tickets through them um, to events early sometimes. All right, so you should confess you have five different Amex cards. No. So you can get special early buying to all Not different Not true, events. but there are... there you are three Amex cards? No, there are deals. She there won't are, answer? There are codes you can use to get in early, to buy early. So just a, just a hint. Okay, this is from Barry in Pennsylvania. I just applied for a credit card with a major bank that I haven't used in many years, and I was denied. I have an 800-plus credit score, no debt other than a car loan, and make plenty of money to meet expenses. I have five other credit cards that are all in good standing. Do you know why I'd be denied? Barry, it's so hard to tell. They have to send you a denial letter saying why they declined you, and usually all it will say is based on information from a credit report from fill-in-the-blank Equifax TransUnion Experian. They just may not want new customers right now for the card that you were doing. Uh, and this can happen to anybody with a card issuer. Now, you said a company, a bank you hadn't used in years. There is a reverse that is known as the Chase rule, that if you have too many cards with Chase Bank, they will pretty much automatically decline you when you want another one because their business model says, they're getting too much into your business. They're under too much risk with you if they extend too many lines of credit to you. In a case where you don't do business with a bank and they declined you with an 800-plus credit score, for whatever business reason, they just don't want to issue cards possibly right now or at least to you. And uh, do you know what bank it was that I don't declined? Say. Uh, so... If I knew the bank, I might have more ideas. But other than that, it is a mystery, and it won't be solved typically by what you will get in the denial letter from them. 
From Carrie in Indiana, my parents were recently advised to name my sister and me as beneficiaries on their home so that it would not go through probate when they pass. What are the advantages of doing this? Wouldn't it be easier to just write this into a will, which they do not yet have? Carrie, there are actually advantages with a home to not have it pass through a will. And Carrie, I don't know what other assets your parents may have other than the home, but it would be very advisable if they're trying to figure this stuff out and they were advised to do this, that they need to meet with a lawyer who does wills, estates, and trusts and look at the overall picture. The advantage of avoiding probate, though, in many states is really valuable. And so passing the home outside of probate with beneficiary designations, that I guess is how you would do it in Indiana, is generally preferable to having it done through the will. But I would like them to not make this decision in isolation just about the home. This is a circumstance where seeing a lawyer who what he or she does full-time as wills, estates, and trusts would be a good thing to do and see overall how each asset your parents have should be passed on as their wishes are and not just make a single isolated decision involving the home. And I want to tell you, this is a perfect situation, Carrie, your question. If we had not gotten to your question, you're asking for very specific advice. You can get free one-on-one advice from our Team Clark Consumer Action Center Monday through Friday, Eastern Time Zone, 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Completely free to talk with a member of Team Clark. Call 636-49-CLARK.